Where the hell have you been, soldier? Training, sir! Training, sir! What kind of training, son? Pizza training, sir! Take two, we are actually recording. We had just a wonderful full dress rehearsal just a moment ago because there's a chance someone didn't press the record button. But without further ado, and now that we've both had a chance to make sure that we're recording, welcome to episode seven of Drew and Sam Talk Training. I'm Drew Helmholtz with Better Than Yesterday Consulting. And I'm Sam, don't forget to hit the record button with Fowser Consulting. Sam, what's today's episode looking like? Oh, it's looking amazing, as you well know, because we just did it without recording. But today we're going to talk about where we've been. We're going to talk some training. We are going to go into my new favorite segment, which is Taken. We got a little interview on tap. Remind me who that interview was with? Just some tiny CEO type person of a couple stores in Australia. I mean, nobody really knows him. Oh, that's right. Don May. So excited to have Don on today's podcast. Forgive me for that, Don. Please forgive me for that. That was just a joke. It's okay. Everyone knows who you are. The interview went so well, in fact, and Don was so gracious with his time that we're going to actually split that interview up into two parts. And today you're going to hear part one, all about leadership. Of course, we'll talk about what's on our radar and it uh, should be one heck of a great episode, especially now that the record button is on. I love the fact that you're telling everybody how we just did 50 minutes of recording, including editing ourselves and doing things over. And well, it was all for nothing, but it was great because practice is awesome. And we're going to talk about practice in a segment today. We're talking about practice, man. What are we talking about? Practice? We're talking about practice, man. Yes, we are. Hey, Johnny, why don't you start it off? I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. Across the desert, bear, man. I breathe the mountain air, man. I travel, I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere. Sam, where have you been lately? For me, I've been in Centralia, Illinois. Lance Fosberg, as you heard me mention a couple of times, just done a tremendous job with a ground-up remodel relocation of his Centralia, Illinois store. Had a lot of visitors this week. Our friend Jim Groneman came down and saw the store. Mark Ratterman was here seeing the store, and people just had fantastic things to say about the store, because really that's all there can be is fantastic things to see this. If you ever make your way through Centralia, Illinois, stop in and see Chase, the manager. He'd be happy to show you the store. You're going to see some crazy crazy things inside there. You make lines and not your normal six and six foot setup, but they've done an eight foot and a six foot. So they've got 14 feet of refrigerated pizza making space. They've got three walk-in coolers. They've got a triple Middleby Marshall Wow oven. They are set up to rock and roll and rock and roll they do. The store doing about triple the national average. Oh my God, pizza's just coming out of there like crazy. What about you, Drew? Where you been? I was home for a little bit, working on some under the hood kind of stuff for Learning Hub. And then last week I got to head out to Boston for a little uh, BTY visit system action with Team Duffacy and their VP, Chris Quartermunch. It was really cool. Got to be in the uh, Dorchester store in uh, downtown Boston. Store doing 
only double national average. Sorry, it's not your triple. But in three days, we got to cut their ADT in half from the week before. Hang on a second. You're telling me you went in there, did some coaching, taught them some new things, and you cut their EADT in half? Wow. That's totally what we did. Oh, and by the way, with no additional labor. Wow. Now, hopefully in like two weeks, it'll actually be a decrease in labor. But right now, they're still learning. So I'll take flat labor. It's fine. Yeah, you would think that uh, with their ADT going down, that means they're getting more efficient, which would actually be a decrease in labor. So an increase in service and a decrease in labor sounds like they made a good investment in bringing the Gruenholm Holtz better than yesterday system out to see them. Sam, they did, but I've got more for you if you'd like. I'm big into more. Go ahead. One of the other stores we visited had a food issue. Have you ever heard of any stores that you've seen having a food issue? It has crossed my table once or twice a food issue. It seems to be a big deal out there. So tell me what you saw. After a little bit of coaching and a little bit of investigation, because that's what we do, we observe. We found that they were, the crew was putting too much sauce on by almost 40% and then a half ounce of cheese over on every pizza. Now a half ounce was imperceptible to the naked eye, but in a 17 store franchise, that half ounce could equate a hundred thousand dollars a year in savings if they just use their scales. So that's what we did. And we saw the cheese waste in that store go to nearly zero. I'll take a quarter pound a day in just three days. Hang on a second. I, I just want to back up for a second. I think I must have had some wax in my ears or something. Did you say $100,000 a year? I did. Wow. That's some serious cabbage. It is. And that's just cheese. That's not counting anything else. That's not looking at chicken. That's not looking at anything else. Just weighing cheese. That half an ounce extra on cheese. And you also mentioned that they were over saucing. It's been my experience yep. in the past that when you over sauce, you just tend to naturally over cheese, especially if your sauce borders aren't where they're supposed to be. That is 100% correct. So part of it, Sam, with supervisors is they're only there a little bit. So we showed the AM while we were there and gave him homework. He had to show the closing manager who then had to leave a note and a list and explain this to the opening manager that we would see the next day. And amazingly, when we showed up, the opening manager was doing exactly what we taught a different manager the day before. Oh, that's fantastic. That's kind of a great segue into our Let's Talk training segment this week on the podcast. You know, one of the things you're going to hear, Don, say later on in the interview is that every day is a training day. And, you know, you lived that on your visit. Of course, we always live that because that's what we get paid to do. It is totally what we get paid to do. But one of the things Don says when he says every day is a training day, and the thing that really opened my eyes, and it's something that I've heard people that have been in the business for decades say, and that is every day you're either teaching something or you're learning something. And if you're approaching the business in a way that every day is a training day, and today I'm going to teach something or I'm going to learn something, it just betters your career. It betters your development. It makes the path more fun and it creates winning teams. And it makes you better than yesterday. It does. It helps take you to the next level, as it were. You want to make sure that you're constantly looking for those moments where you can train and you can help build the gaps in performance and you can get your team to a place where they can function without you. Because if you can get your team to a place where they can function without you, pay attention now. You're going to be able to have a quality day off. I know that idea is foreign to a lot of our listeners, but it's possible. Quality day off. Quality day off. A quality day off. I want to say it a couple of times just because people may not be able to translate what that really means. A quality day off. 
And that's a day where your team can perform without you because you've treated each and every day as a training day. You've gone in to what you had to get done that day and you're looking for opportunities to help develop your team. So when you're not there on your quality day off, your team is performing at a high level and that's what's really important. So let's talk about the times where you're actually going to have some structured training. You know, the first thing you've got to do is schedule that training. Wait, 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 Sam, it's the five steps to OJT and it doesn't say schedule a training. Why are you starting with that? Well, because the five steps come in after you've scheduled the training. I find it in today's hectic Domino's pizza world that if we don't actually schedule the training and we just wing it, it doesn't end up working so well. So it's very important that you schedule the training, you schedule the trainer and you schedule somebody to take care of production because believe it or not, your customers are going to keep ordering even though you're trying to train that new team member. So make sure that you've scheduled the training, schedule the trainer, and schedule production so that you can help get that team member off and running, make them feel about good about the job they're doing so that in that first 90 days, they're not off and running to their next job. What gets scheduled gets done. If you're a manager of a store and your schedule is open through six or noon to eight, and it doesn't say anything else, that's not a schedule. That's where you're going to be. What you do is what you schedule. So schedule what you're going to do and what gets scheduled gets done. The five steps to OJT are what, Sam? So step number one, and I think step number one is the one where we miss the boat the most. And I think it's so critical because of the way our brains are wired. When your brain perceives a threat, it immediately goes into what we call fight or flight. And the easiest way to make sure that your learner's brain does not perceive a threat is to do step one of on-the-job training, and that's create a positive atmosphere. Create an atmosphere where the learner feels welcomed, where they feel like they can ask questions regardless of how basic the questions are, that you answer them with a smile and you make sure that you're filling in all of the knowledge gaps so that the learner doesn't have to. So what I hear you saying is I need to be playing celebrate every time I'm training somebody. I need to bring in some party poppers, some balloons, a disco ball. I mean, you could certainly go that way. I don't really see all of that happening. Maybe you simply meet the learner with a smile on their face and a smile on your face and you welcome them and you tell them what's about to happen and it looks like there's a plan. Something as simple as that is how you create a positive atmosphere. Now, listen, if you've got the disco balls and you've got the party poppers, I'll be there. I'm ready. I'm always up for a party. I think what the folks need more than the disco ball or the party poppers are the what's in it for me. If we can share that what's in it for me and that create a positive atmosphere, that's exactly what it's going to do. I'm not telling them why we shouldn't do something. I'm telling them why we should do something and how it's going to be better for them. I like it a lot. All right, let's Let's move on to step number two. As much as you like step number one, Sam, and I do like step number one, even if there are no disco balls or party poppers. Step number two, a preview of the task resonates with me. I am a begin with the end in mind kind of guy and be able to show whatever it is will be the final product that by the end of the training, this is what you'll be able to create. Usually helps give the team member a sense of accomplishment and a sense of yearning because they want to be able to do whatever it is you're showing them. Yeah, I think it's important to define what success looks like. So if you're showing somebody how to make a pizza for the first time, you should have a perfect pizza out of the oven ready and you can show them the five elements, rim, size, portion, placement, bake, and give them the criteria to each of the elements. So 
as they're learning, they can connect with what Drew so eloquently put, the end in mind as they're learning. They're not just doing something because you told them to. They're doing something trying to get to that end. So starting with the end in mind is so important. If you're not training something that's tangible, like you're training how to build a schedule or EFO, explain to the team member how they're going to feel when they do it right. When we place a good food order, we don't have to worry about getting dough from other stores. We don't have to worry about running out of anything or, oh my gosh, telling customers we're out of something. We're going to show you how to do it right. So all those things never happen to you. Doing it right from the beginning. I like that. So Sam, what's step number three? Step number three, after you've created that positive atmosphere and you've previewed the task, now it's time for you to demonstrate the task. You're going to actually show them what it is you're trying to teach them. We've got them in the right mindset by creating a positive atmosphere. We've told them what's going to happen. Now we're going to show them what's about to happen. And we're going to do that by demonstrating the task. So if you are teaching somebody how to make a large pepperoni pizza, and I'm sure some of our listeners out there are lightning fast, faster than I've ever dreamt of being. When you go to demonstrate that task, don't show them your 25 second pepperoni time or your 20 second pepperoni time, because there's a chance you're going to freak them out. If you want to be a great performance coach, and hopefully you do, you need to learn how to make a perfect pepperoni pizza in around two and a half to three minutes so that they can hear the words you're saying. They can see the motions you're doing when you're doing that step number three, which is demonstrating the task. Your goal during training is not to prove how good you are. We already know that. And thank you so much for being so good. Your goal is to make your new team member have some confidence so that they can get some competence and they can be great. And why does it take two and a half to three minutes? Because you're going to chunk it down. You're going to take all of those things you do and break them into each individual little step. Because this way, if you break it down into each individual little step, you have such a great chance for step five, which we'll get to in a second. But by breaking it down, it allows you to give more step five. I'll get to step five right after step four, which is practice. And we're talking about practice. I'm not shoving it aside you know, like it don't mean anything. I know it's important. I do. I honestly do. Once you've demonstrated that task, you've got to let the team member practice all of those steps. If I'm practicing and you're training me, Sam, where should you be? Well, that's uh, that's a great question, Drew. And it's, it's something that just absolutely baffles my mind when I see it happen. And that's we're teaching people how to do things. And then once we see them do it once, we make the assumption that they're ready to practice on their own without any coaching. And we go and do some of the other tasks that we need to get done. To me, if you want to be a great performance coach, you've got to remember the coaching big three. And number one on the big three is you've got to be present. You've got to be there with the team member as they're practicing so that you can give them the feedback. Step number two in the coaching big three is you've got to be positive. Again, we wanted to create that positive atmosphere in step one of on-the-job training. You want to continue that positivity throughout the session so that their brain never slips in to fight or flight. And when I say you need to be positive, what I'm not saying is everything you say can only be good. What I'm saying is everything that you say should be framed up in a positive manner, which brings me to step three, which is you have to be constructive. When you see an opportunity for improvement, you've got to jump in there immediately and give that positive, constructive feedback and take them back to the step before and have them go again. I'm a big believer in that when you're teaching things that have multiple steps, that you never allow them to move on to the next step until the first step is correct. 
why in the world would I teach somebody to edge stretch if they can't define the proper edge? And when I teach people how to make pizza, I go through a lot of dough and people are like, oh, you're just going to throw that away. Can't we move on? And I say, no, we can't. Don't want to teach you how to fix your mistakes. I want to teach you how to do it right from the beginning. Wow, Sam, that's some good stuff. Are we actually recording this time? We are. Cool. I'm glad that people will get to hear that other than me. That was some good stuff. Hey, folks. So what some of you may also know is praise, correct, praise. Praise, correct, praise is great when it's used the way it's meant to be used. And if you follow what Sam was just saying, praise, correct, praise is broken down into the steps that you trained on. Hang on. Let me jump in there for just a second, Drew. So you're saying praise, correct, praise is good. Yes. But what it's not is the old crap sandwich, something good, something bad, something good that have nothing to do with each other. Is that what I'm hearing you say? That is exactly it. It's not really praise, correct, praise. It's praise, correct, really long pause, praise, correct. May I give an example? Please do. In in your example, you were edge stretching, right? So I'm working with you. I'm standing next to you and we do a couple corrections and you get to forming the rim, right? So you're forming the rim and you we get to the point where you're doing it correctly. And I say, great job on forming the rim, Sam. Now, when you're edge stretching, don't let your fingers run over the rim. Praise. Great job on the edge stretching. You've got it. Correct. Don't let your fingers go over the rim. I'm going to wait and watch. On the next one, when Sam goes and the fingers stay in the rim, I'm going to say, great job on keeping your fingers in the rim. Now do bigger pulls. Praise. Correct. And this way, it's it's not that crap sandwich. I'm not just saying, oh, and I like your hair. Oh, you got good shoes on. No, it's not any of that. It is completely based on what I was training, making a praise for what they're doing right and making a small correction so I can give another praise once they make that correction. Yeah, that backend praise is all about directing at the correction that you just asked for and demanded. And when you're teaching a skill that has many steps... It can turn into praise, correct, praise, correct, praise, correct, praise, correct, praise, Praise, correct, correct. praise, correct. Not only can it go on and on and on, but it should go on and on and on because your new learners need that. If you are a recent graduate of the Better Than Yesterday system and you're a supervisor, you can also use praise, correct, praise. But that back end praise may not come for days until you make your next visit. You were in there, you praise them on something that you saw, and then you saw something that they needed to give attention to, but it's not something that they could fix while you were there. You need to make a note to yourself so that the next time you're in that store, you can follow up on what correction you asked for, and then you can give them that desperately wanted and needed back-end praise, which can be your segue into the next correction. It's a constant performance coaching technique that's really great. And Drew, you were so generous with the listeners last week. I think I'm going to drop on them. If they're interested in learning more about Praise Correct Praise, I've got just a a wonderful two-page document that spells it out. And if you email me at sam at fouserconsulting.net, I would just be happy to share with you that document. That's my gift for me to you for being one of our very special listeners that we love each and every one of you. So go ahead and drop me an email at sam at fouserconsulting.net and I will send you that praise, correct praise sheet. That's so nice of you, Sam. Yeah, we do what we can. Free stuff just for listening. So we talked about step one, which was create a positive atmosphere. We talked about step two, which is preview the task. We then went into step three, which is demonstrate the task. We just got done with step four, which is practice the task. We're talking about practice, man. Tell me what step five is. I think step five is feedback and recognition, which would be a lot of what we were talking about just now with praise, correct, praise, correct. 
Praise, correct. It's like a train. I just want that chant now. Yeah, 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 I like it. Feedback and recognition is so important. And what I teach anybody that I've got the pleasure of doing a performance coaching workshop with is that the level of recognition should directly correlate with the level that the learner's at or the size of the accomplishment. And let me give you an example, Drew. If I'm teaching a brand new pizza maker how to make pizza, and their first pizza comes out of the oven and it meets all five elements of a great pizza, rim, size, portion, placement, bake. I make it seem like it's the biggest gosh darn thing that has happened all day because it is. You win a new car. Wait, not that big. Okay. It's the second. Yeah. It's the second biggest thing that's happened all day. Now, on the other hand, if you and I are in a store together and and we're doing some training, they ask us to help out on the make line and I happen to be on the cut and you're on the make line and you're making pizza. I'm absolutely going to give you feedback when great pizzas come out, but it's not going to be a big deal because I expect great pizzas to come out. But I also know as a human being, you need some recognition to keep the motivation, keep those great pizzas coming out of the oven. So great pizza comes out of the oven. It drew great pizza. It's not a huge deal, but it's feedback and recognition that we all need. Nobody that's listening to this podcast right now doesn't appreciate when whoever they're working for says, hey, you did a good job. And you need to keep that in mind when you're inside your four walls of your stores. And even if you've got a team of seasoned veterans that make great pizzas all the time, they need to hear that. You remember back in episode two, I think it was when we talked to Eric Arnston, and he said it's his goal for all of his general managers to have a sore throat by the end of the night because they're constantly communicating, they're constantly giving feedback, and they're constantly giving recognition. People need that. It's so important for that to be step five and on the job training. So you can tie it all up in a nice little bow and make sure the learner feels good about what they've done. That's going to give them a sense of pride in what they do and give you greater bang for your buck and give you greater bang for your buck and get you to continue to perform at a high level. Sam, in my system for the better than yesterday visit system, I have an unspoken fourth visit and it's celebrate. And it's exactly for that. We crave recognition. You said it so well, and it doesn't matter what level you're at. If you're a GM, you need to recognize your team when they do a good job, just make it fit what they're doing. If you're a supervisor, recognize your GMs for doing it right. If you're a franchisee, recognize your supervisors for doing it right. It doesn't cost you anything to say thank you, especially if you say it in front of other people. Make it public, make it loud and make it fit what they did right. I love it. I think that wraps up Let's Talk Training. Again, the five steps of on-the-job training. Step number one, create a positive atmosphere. Step number two, review the task. Step number three is demonstrate the task. What are we talking about? Number four is practice. We talking about practice, man. And step number five is feedback and recognition. With that, let's take a break and let's hear from a sponsor. You want to take what you have heard on this podcast to the next level? I do. Are you looking to be better than yesterday? I am. So why don't you join us for Drew and Sam Train Leadership, a mini-con event. You'll get to hear from a keynote speaker. You'll choose from two of three available breakouts. Those breakouts, full-fledged expectations, holding them able with accountability, and recognition with impact. You'll have an opportunity to network with other listeners of this podcast. It's only 49 bucks. It gives you access to the two-hour event. To register, go to trainwithbty.com. That's right. To register, go to trainwithbty.com. Do it today. All right, welcome back to episode seven. Liam, what do you got to say? But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. 
skills I've acquired over a very long career. Damn, it's time for your favorite segment. Let's do Taken. What have you taken from the stores? Yeah, you know, uh, we talked in the last episode about prep. And I'm here in Centralia, Illinois. Again, Lance has invested in the prep carts that are available at ENS. And this isn't an ad for any ENS. This is just me saying I love those carts, man. They're on wheels. Everything comes off and can go into the dishwasher. Gives you a nice, clean workspace to do your prep. And the thing I really like is that... Because it's on wheels, if I'm a delivery driver and I'm doing some prep work and I've got to go on a run, I can simply roll that guy into the walk-in and keep my food out of the temperature danger zone. Or better yet, I can roll that thing into the walk-in and just do my prep right into the walk-in. That's next level right there, Sam, prepping in the walk-in. Nice. Yeah, and I think that's going to make you better than yesterday as we play whose drop is better. You know, as an evaluator, I was an OER guy for six years, a couple of decades ago. And it upset me for the store manager when I would see somebody doing prep, they'd go out on a run, leave the food out. And then of course, you know, I've got to tap it to make sure that we're keeping our customers safe and delivering them the Domino's experiences that they deserve. And you know, the food is always up into that temperature danger zone. And if it stays for too long, then it becomes an extreme and then you lose a star. And more importantly, what are we serving to our customers with that food that has had the chance to be in that temperature danger zone and grow bacteria? So these carts are just amazing. I mean, they've got bottle holders on them. They've got places that you can put H bars and you can put buckets in them. You've got a place to put uh, the cutting boards on. And again, this sounds like an ad for ENS. Trust me, it's not. It is an ad though for making things easier. And if we can make things easier, then people will do it and they'll do it the right way because it's easier to do it right than it is to pull everything out, leave it on the cup table and create food safety issues. Yeah. I mean, how many times have you seen somebody I'm going to do prep and they go shopping in the walk-in and they come out with a cart full of stuff that would easily take three hours to prep. And they're like, well, I just wanted to get everything in one trip. And I'm like, that's easier. The cart replaces that. It's awesome. Huge fan of the cart. Huge fan of the cart. So we just got done talking and let's let's talk training about the five steps of on-the-job training. And what was step number five? I believe it was feedback and recognition. And that um, that leads me to a story you told me on your trip to Dorchester. What what have you taken from the stores? Uh, Benjamin Franklin. Wait, isn't isn't he dead? Uh, he is, but he's also in the $100 bill. So you're taking $100 bills from the stores? Well, I mean, the idea. I'm, I mean, I'm not really taking $100 bills. I'm just taking the idea, Sam. Should I explain? Ah, Okay. The, well, it sounds to me like uh, you better because it's early in the morning as we're recording. I've already forgot to hit the recording button once, and now I think you're stealing. So um, you better explain. So here's the way it worked. We're in the Dorchester store, and they're on their third day of us being there, and they're doing what was asked of them, and they're doing it fantastically. Running a 21-minute ADT, they're running a two-minute load. They're just killing it. So the fourth visit I mentioned is the celebrate. So we were talking about, hey, they're doing what was asked of them. It's giving us the result we want. How do we celebrate? And we were talking in there. The one supervisor said, you know, we should just high five them. They're doing their job. That's all it's worth. And the VP that was there, Chris Cordemont, he he reaches in his pocket and in his pocket, he carries a hundred dollar bill and he uses that hundred to race people on 
pizza times that if you can beat him, you get the hundred bucks right out of his pocket. So he looks at the supervisor of the store, Tufik, and he says, Tufik, I think you should give this to the team and have the GM use it to feed the team tonight. Think how far that'll go. So we stopped ops. It's like eight o'clock, eight fifteen. The rush is kind of quieting down a little bit. We stop everything. All twenty people in the store, between insiders, drivers, and management, and a couple of supervisors, stop. We get them all to stop for a second. And Tufik holds up this hundred dollar bill, and he says, "Everybody, I just want to let you know what you did tonight was a great job. It's so great." I'm going to give this hundred dollar bill to Jose, the general manager of the store. And Jose is going to feed you guys tonight with this hundred dollar bill. Thanks so much for what you did. And Sam, it was amazing. The looks on everybody's faces, you would have thought that that we gave them each a hundred dollar bill all because we rewarded them for doing what was asked of them. That's amazing. But you know, it, it begs the question. I assume they're all getting paid. They are. Well, shouldn't they just do their job because they're getting paid? Sam, if that were the case, everybody would be running 15 minute delivery times and they would be doing way more in sales and they wouldn't have a customer care case. It doesn't work that way. We need feedback, positive feedback when we do something right. And we actually need feedback to the constructive side when we do something incorrect so that we can correct the behavior. If we don't get any feedback, we just do what's easy. And easy is running bad delivery times. Easy is not answering the phone. Easy is not prepping enough. So Benjamin Franklin helped the store cut their delivery time in half and keep it rolling. Man, I love it. And, you know, the feedback and recognition piece on the inside just get crazy whenever I hear the, well, when I was a manager or, well, when I ran a store, people just did their job because that's what they needed to do. We're living in a different world. And people like to hear that they've done a good job. People want to hear that they've done a good job. And in the big scope of things, that $100 that Chris Cordemont spent in a store that's doing double the national average isn't all that much money. And he got a huge return on the investment. I mean, for our listeners out there, look in the mirror for just a second. How do you feel when somebody tells you you've done a good job? It's things that you want, desire, and need for you to continue to do a good job. So let's give that feedback and recognition. If you've got some dead presidents in your pocket burning a hole in it, go ahead and buy the crew dinner if they've done a good job. I think that's a fantastic take. And Drew, thank you so much for sharing that. Hey, my pleasure, Sam. And since we're talking about feedback and recognition... Let's recognize a sponsor. You want to take what you have heard on this podcast to the next level? I do. Are you looking to be better than yesterday? I am. So why don't you join us for Drew and Sam Train Leadership, a mini-con event. You'll get to hear from a keynote speaker. You'll choose from two of three available breakouts. Those breakouts, full-fledged expectations, holding them able with accountability, and recognition with impact. You'll have an opportunity to network with other listeners of this podcast. It's only 49 bucks. It gives you access to the two-hour event. To register, go to trainwithbty.com. That's right. To register, go to trainwithbty.com. Do it today. All right, welcome back to episode seven. I think it's a great time to go ahead and talk to somebody. What do you think, Stevie? I got to let you know that I'm really fanboying about this interview. I mean, like I don't usually fanboy and I'm really fanboying. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. We've got worldwide international master franchisee Don May with us today. And let's jump right into that interview. 
All right. So welcome to Drew and Sam Talk Training. We are here with international master franchisee Don May. Just so delighted to have you, Don. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. It's great to be here. So tell our listeners about your journey. When did you start with Domino's? Give them some of the highlights and maybe some of the milestones that have come along the way. Yeah, so I started uh, 1987 as a pizza delivery driver. So I delivered uh, pizzas for a couple of years. We we actually started our the entity, which is Domino's Pizza Enterprises today, actually started out as a separate brand. We were a little company called Silvio's in Brisbane. And um, I, was, I was studying to be a high school teacher. I got towards the end of my degree, did, realized I didn't want to teach. And so I took on a manager's job, became a supervisor, an operations manager. And then, and then we acquired the rights to Domino's Pizza in 93. And I became the head of Domino's Pizza. The, the founder of Silvio still ran Silvio's. And that was an incredible time. You know, I went to the US and met Frank Meeks and Richard Mueller and, and a gentleman who became someone who I aspired to be like, which was Phil Bresler and many other people, another gentleman called Mike Yore, who had nine stores in, in Arlington. And the and just seeing what these guys were doing just got so inspired. And and then, you know, back in 95, we had to decide which brand would we become? Would we be Silvio's or Domino's? And whilst at that point I became a small shareholder I, and I was the smaller shareholder, I was just obsessed that we need to be Domino's and that you know, Domino's had struggled before that in Australia, not because it wasn't a great concept. It just hadn't been applied to the, the Australian, you know, differences. And so to, to, to put my money where my mouth is, is I also went out and franchised when we converted the business. And, and so 1996, I franchised and my goal was to be like Phil Bresler, have 20 stores averaging 20K when most stores in the world were doing about 8K and Australia was no exception. And in my first year, that store 1996 became the second busiest Domino's store on the planet. And it was for the next three years. Every time I went to a worldwide rally, which in those years was every year, you know, we'd rock up and we kept getting uh, beat by a store in Iceland, which was always crazy because I was like, this is the year we're going to take out um, Iceland, but we didn't. And yeah, that business really flourished. I mean, I became international manager year in 1996 and my franchise grew to 17 stores over five years and we were averaging over 20K. So I was living, living the goal and the dream. And in fact, it was about you know, 10 or 15 years faster than I thought it would happen. Then in 2001, the owners of the master franchise approached me and said, look, Don, you've had a lot of fun, but it's time to come back into the bigger business. And we negotiated and I brought another franchisee in with me, Grant Burke. And together we bought 25% of the master franchise. And within a year, I became the CEO. And, and it was a really incredible time because back then we were still the number three player in Australia. So there was Pizza Hut was number one with 427 stores. There was a company called Pizza Haven, which was a ripoff of Pizza Hut with 284 stores. And then we were number three with 174 and a number four, we had 168 stores. And within two years, we became the market leader. It was extraordinary. You know, Pizza Hut taught Australians how to eat pizza, but within two years, they closed 130 stores and it was all around high volume mentality. You know, the same things that we did in our own individual stores, we took to the greater group and we absolutely pummeled Pizza Hut. And, you know, today we're five times bigger than Pizza Hut now in sales. We then went into New Zealand and that was incredible. I mean, we, we you know, Pizza Hut was exclusively the market leader or monopoly. They'd bought out all the competition. It was kind of strange. And we went in and within two, three years, we became the market leader. It was just, it was incredible. You know, once again, Pizza Hut had taught the Kiwis how to eat pizza. Then in two, by 2005, things happened so quickly for us. Grant Burke wanted to retire. You know, the business got so big so fast. And so we decided to list the business because rather than keep exiting capital from the business, we thought we could be a lot, a bigger business. 
So we decided to list in 2005, which was an incredible experience for a little pizza guy. You know, I mean, all my business experience was in Domino's and now you're going to become a public company. So that was a hell of a ride. And, and we used some of that public money to then go and acquire the rights to France, the Netherlands and Belgium. And everyone thought we were crazy. You know, here's an American brand being operated by some Australians and they're going to take on some, some tough markets in Europe. I mean, you know, as history has it, we were actually given Belgium and the Netherlands for free to buy France. It's interesting when you take a global perspective and see it in a different way. I mean, the population of the Netherlands and Belgium is the same population as Australia and New Zealand. So for us, it was like, that's unbelievable. Um, but we... <laughs> We were, we were buying, when you aggregated the whole business together, it was losing money and it wasn't paying royalties yet. So we had to go to a royalty rate as well as take it to profitability. And it was tough. The first year was a, was a heat wave in the first. So it went backwards even further because, you know, Europeans like North Americans don't eat pizza when it's really hot or eat a lot less pizza, which Australians eat pizza 52 weeks of the year. Hot or cold, we eat pizza. It's a very, we eat a lot less pizza than Europeans and Americans, but for us, the pizza moment isn't driven by as much by the weather as, as the Northern Hemisphere countries. But yeah, I mean, it, it, as it turns out today, that was probably the deal of the century. We paid 8.7 million euros for those three countries and they're probably worth about $4 billion to us today. I mean, they've been an incredible wow. journey. It's been a hell of a ride. And, you know, the, the Netherlands went on to be an incredible business for us, you know, benchmark for delivery times. We're not only the biggest pizza company in the Netherlands, we've got more stores than McDonald's and we'll beat them in sales in the next few years to be the biggest QSR. We've also got more stores than McDonald's in Belgium now. So there are two countries where we're bigger than McDonald's by store count, which not every Domino's market in the world can say that. And then, yeah, business kept growing. We were having a time of our lives and we um, eight years ago bought Japan Everyone once again thought, okay, this is the one that's going to get them because, I mean, the Japanese don't eat pizza and they and they really, a Japanese consumer only eats pizza once or twice a year. And our, our first business model was to say, you know what, even if we just still share, we can have a really good business. And we said originally, I think we bought it roughly 284 stores and we said we'd be 700 stores or we're 750 stores today. We'll be nearly 800 by June. And we've, we now believe it's at least a 1500 store market. My personal view is one day it'll be about 3000 stores. That's, that's an, that's an ambition more than it's, it's facts yet, but we are definitely going to be 1500 stores. And now we're educating the Japanese to eat pizza. It's, it's a rock star market for us. It's, it's, it, we've got an exceptional team. And then four years ago, we, we acquired Germany. And Germany was one of those interesting ones. You know, it's the fifth biggest pizza market in the world. And, and yet Domino's had never been successful there. A lot of failure, a lot of disasters. And it has our highest AWIS within four years. It's our highest AWIS DPE market. It's, our, it's, it's second to Japan in growth right now. It's extraordinary. And it also, I believe, is going to be a two to 3,000 store market, although the first first target's 1,000 and because we're only 350 today. So yeah, well, you know, you wake up now. I've been in the business 34 years in March. So I literally just celebrated my 34th year in Domino's and um, or in the pizza business. And we got 2,830 stores. We'll open our 3,000 store in August or September this year. No kidding. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. So it's, yeah, from 15 stores when I first started to where we are now, and we're having the time of our lives. I mean, this is the golden era of dominoes that we're living in right now. So it's very exciting. Yeah, it's pretty exciting indeed. So one of the milestones along the way that I know of is when I worked in the World Resource Center, I used to walk by your picture every single day in the Chairman's Circle Hall of Fame. What kind of excitement was that for you and Grant to be put in with some really great people, including Frank? Yeah, look, it was really, it was really bizarre because 
I'm not really good at getting some of those sort of accolades, believe it or not. And, and Dave Brandon gave me a call. It was on a Saturday and he said, Don, I want, to, I want to let you know. I mean, this is, you know, very, very early on. This is 2004. And I was still so young. I'm, you know, I still feel I'm really young. And he, he said, Don, I want, you know, I'm going to welcome you into the Chairman's Hall of Fame. And, you know, and, and my memory is you get a gold Rolex. And I, I literally said to Dave, I said, Davey, is someone trying to get rid of us? I mean, don't they give this to the old guys when, they, when they're retiring from Domino? And he said to me, he said, Don, I've never had a recipient knock back an award. And I was like, no, 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 I'm sorry. I, I, you know, this is bizarre. This is incredible. And obviously incredibly honoured. You know, all my heroes have become members. And, yeah, I think any recognition that you get from peers and inside Domino's, it's what the founder, Tom Monaghan, you know, I, I, I often relay his stories of me sitting as a young young dominoid in the room and he would show his Detroit Tigers owner's ring and say he was the only one in the world and that, you know, we should all strive to be the best we can be. And these these recognitions highlight that you're the best that you can be and that's why they exist. And, and you know, as franchisees, we should continue to do that and breed that culture that going for awards isn't about the piece of metal. It's more about the recognition of striving to be the best and it's in Domino's culture you know, striving to be the best. Yeah. I mean, I just can't imagine that phone call. It must've been exciting, especially as a young man and just starting out. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it's definitely exciting. That's great. On your Facebook page, a couple of weeks back, you posted about your first job packing down fruit on Saturdays and how that taught you so much about retail and purchasing behavior. Do you happen to remember who your first boss was? And did you learn anything about leadership from your first boss while you're packing fruit on Saturdays? It's really funny. My first boss, his name is Mr. Deli Watkins, and he is still a customer of my eventual first franchise. And it was so funny when when I was working part-time in the pizza business and then also working, which was a year or two after, you know, doing fruit and veg section of, of a supermarket chain, biggest supermarket chain in Australia at that time. Um, I eventually became the Saturday shift manager. And in those days, we closed on Sunday. So my job was to look at the fruit and the fruit that potentially would not make it Monday should have to be sold. And if it had to be sold, it better get even a penny for something than nothing, right? Because it's a waste to throw it away. So trying to learn all how, you know, you sell the customers, you know, how do you get rid of these bananas and grapes that we're not going to make it to Monday and what was the real price? And my job was to leverage up. But if I go back to that first boss, it was really funny because his view was the supermarkets were going to be doing pizza, fresh made pizza. And why would I go in the pizza business? You know, it's not going to survive. And that uh, supermarkets were going to take it out. And he's, he's, he's today a big fan and it's amazing. And it's like, I don't know how many years ago that was now, 38 years ago. He taught me how to mop a floor. He watched me, you know, mopping a floor, dragging the mop over the floor. And he taught me the spin technique and how you settle a mop on and how it sucks up. And and I remember shooting videos for our, our managers about how to mop floors because there is a right way and a wrong way to mop floors. And uh, yes, there is. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and he, he, he the, you know, this, this was the store manager of a big supermarket walking down and his, his suit and tie, which was what they wore as supermarket managers in those days and teaching me how to mop a floor. So nothing was beyond management. And that's still something also that, that I retain today, that never ask a manager to do something you wouldn't be able to do yourself. And that's, you know, sometimes as franchisees, we lose contact with the store because we're visiting stores, we're not work, working shifts. And we just keep adding tasks to the shift. Oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. And we're not taking things away. And therefore, we, we're, we're, we're taking focus away from our store managers on, on what really matters. And you know, the focus of a store manager, it should be about their team and execution. And, and we keep putting all this stuff on them. It's harder to do than, and it's easier to say, 
but you know, you, you really need to get in and run a shift every now and then. And um, as I say, it's hard to do because I haven't done that in a long time. And we just got to focus on not keep burdening management with distraction. So along those lines then, Don, if we're talking about leaders and, and what that first boss showed you, what qualities do you look for in potential leaders? Yeah, I think my favorite characteristic of a leader is humility. I interviewed uh, three US franchisees just recently for our own rally in Australia. And and one of the first things that came out in the interview from Yash um, over on the East Coast was, I was given an opportunity to be a franchisee and therefore it's my destiny to continue to give everybody else an opportunity. And I think that humility that came from Mr. Monaghan was that I, I believe that and feel that. And I think it's lost in our system this is something North America does exceptionally well. A lot of the, the good franchisees in America are growing their managers into franchise owners. And, and that's part of the secret source of dominoes. And, and that hasn't always traveled internationally. And so, you know, I think humility is so important. Discipline is important. Focus is important um, as a leader. Vision for your team. You know, team members like to follow a vision. You know, your vision maybe just for one store to take your store from thirty to forty thousand over a two-year period to to do that. And how you're doing that through you know certain delivery time targets, certain NPS scores and OER scores, and so on. And you know, having a vision and painting a picture of how to achieve that vision and how everybody fits into that from every single team member. Because what managers often lose the fact is that great operations, great success comes from everybody buying in on the vision. You know, that everybody is working together as a synced machine to, to be able to execute. It's not just the store manager or the franchisee who knows the vision. If, if you're the only one who knows the vision, it's probably not going to happen. Having a vision, humility, discipline, focus, an insatiable appetite to get better every single day. So I, we always say at Domino's in, in DPE that every day is a training day at Domino's. Either you're learning or you're teaching. But every day is a training day. And so, you know, 34 years, I learn every single day. I, I'm endlessly amazed at the, the amazing things that go on all over the world. And, you know, you just can't get enough learning yourself. And then as, a, as an educator, as a leader, every, you know, the funny thing for store managers is, well, I don't like training. Well, you're never going to be a, a successful store manager. It's one of the biggest criteria of, of management and leadership is to be a trainer. That's what you do is to impart knowledge and challenge and challenge your team to be better and challenge yourself to be better. You know, sometimes I'll have a manager say, Don, you've been doing it 34 years. You know, you, you've done very well. You've made a lot of money. Why do you work so hard? And I said, well, there's two philosophies at Domino's. One is you, could, you can't retire and expect to stay at Domino's. If you're going to retire, you should leave. And you've got to turn up to training if you want to every day if you want to expect to play the game. And so those two those two characteristics is the day when I think that I don't want to work as hard in this business is the day I should retire because there is no there's no seat in Domino's for uh, for people to retire and stay because you're just going to kill the business and kill the brand if you do that you're diluting the business. So yeah, there's some of the characteristics that I admire and look for and. And many of these characteristics are trained characteristics. You know, they're things that you can impart, you know, to say to your manager, what's your why? Why are you doing what you're doing and where are you going? And, and okay, now let's talk about that. And then how are you going to inevitably for you to achieve your why, you're going to have to train and develop and create exceptional people around you. Well, I can't find exceptional people. Well, exceptional people are also created just like you, that it's it's unearthing their why. And, and it just keeps feeding down the chain. And, and you know, we, we employ 85,000 people, and I think they're all exceptional. And 
you know, we'll employ hundreds of thousands of people in the coming years as we're on our way to a lot of stores. We keep finding exceptional people and, you know, and, and helping them on their journey. Yeah, it's funny how that works that, you know, if you truly do live that every day is a training day, which by the way, I'm going to be stealing that and using it. I love it. Yeah, I'm stealing it too. You know, as two consultants who get paid to go out and train people, and we really specialize in soft skills, the leadership things that you're talking about. It's just so refreshing to hear that it's so important to you and the success that you've had. And to build on that a little bit, I saw that you just had a recent class of graduates from your New Zealand Pizza College. How do people get selected to go to that? What kind of curriculum are you teaching them there? And then are you seeing a higher retention rate in people that actually get their degree from that college? Yeah. So, you know, Pizza College is an idea that we stole from RPM Pizza many, many, many years ago. And it's evolved over the years, but it's it's about to it's about to go through its biggest transition ever in history. So Pizza College typically, you know, a franchise owner or a corporate store manager will select a team member that's potentially already at a shift runner status, as we call it, and then want to go to the next level and become an MIT. We we still use a lot of old terminology in DPE, the original Domino's terminology. Yeah, once you're if you're being approached to be an MIT, then you're going to go for a very similar curriculum you'd be familiar with from North America. The new program we're building right now is what we call the path to excellence. And the path to excellence is from interview, not just NEO, but all the way before that, the very interview process and the gamification of the interview to how do we select the people who are most likely to be good dominoid. And we've got all this sort of fun gaming that we we recommend in the interview process. And then the path to excellence is going to go all the way through to multi-unit franchisee or executive in the company, which is the two pathways. And it's, it's an app-based training program. So when you're a team member, you get the app. As soon as you start, you build your emoji and you start building all, you get all your badges and all your recognition. And sometimes you're going to a physical class. Sometimes you're being timed in a store because it's exponential, right? That you challenge yourself to be a faster pizza maker, a faster pizza cutter, a better dough maker, an efficient delivery driver, safety and security knowledge. All of these things that you're endlessly challenged back in the store and then then your manager or sometimes a franchisee signs off into the point system and you just go all the way through. And and eventually, when you get to being a franchisee, then the leadership training really kicks into another level because how do you become a multi-unit owner? You know, you may have got there as a single unit owner through just hard work and it made you relatively successful. But without that that extra level of leadership training, how do you get and build the systems to becoming a multi-unit owner? And and it's all tech-based. We've already got all of the classes built. Now we just got to load it all in. We're using Adobe uh, Captivate, but we're building a, a separate layer on top of that. And it's three engines. It's the training. It's the measurement so that we can see the dashboards, which is nothing new. But the one we're most excited about is the third engine is that it's relationship back to real results. So if I did a product quality class, did my customer ratings in product go up? And if not, we got to review the class. Because of the class, you know, we do so much training at Domino's and how effective is it? Well, you know, from MPS scores to to labor costs to service, if we're teaching all these classes, we're going to correlate them back to what actually changes in a store as a result of that because we have so many other measures. And that's the third engine. And, and to me, it's the, the most exciting engine because we've never really focused on that. We focused on the class and the dashboard. And in all fairness, ticking boxes is great, but it, how effective were these. And if the classes aren't, you know, with our nine countries, if we start seeing one country shoot away or one market shoot away with better results, we say, well, what are you doing in your training class in the path to excellence that that we can learn from? Because ultimately it's about the real measure. 
Did the store get more productive? Did the service get better? Did sales go up? Did the customer rate us better? What would, you know, has turnover gone down with team members because you're a better leader? Real, real measures that are that are independent. And it goes all the way up to a dashboard to me to say our training is getting better and more effective or it's not. And it's great. We're doing a quantum of training. It's full empowered from a team member pushing a manager or franchisee to say, hey, I want to get this training because I want more badges. I want more recognition. I want the next level. But then it's also the measure. So I think it's the best piece of tech we're developing in the next 18 months. It's going to be the most meaningful thing we've done in about a decade. And it will contribute to 310 and all these other things. So very, very excited about it. Wow, that's amazing. Don, in our podcast, not only do we interview fantastic people like you, we review books as well. So is there a book you're reading right now that you'd like to share or maybe a top three that you would suggest to our listeners? Yeah. The one I'm reading right now that is blowing my mind is called The Future is Faster Than You Think. And it's just so perfect for where we're at. The Future is Faster Than You Think. Yeah. That's the name of the book. And I think it's brilliant for... And I'm not sure who the author is, but you find that there in Apple somewhere. It's brilliant because it talks about... you know, We just interviewed Mr. Monaghan and took him through Project 310 for the third time. And we love his input, his, you know, his feedback, and he gets so excited and that, he, that energizes us. And he says, my, you know, I, I could only have dreamed of these things. And the reality is, is that you couldn't dream of those things back then because the technologies weren't there and the convergence of all this technology to make faster ovens and future order screens with algorithms and, and GPS systems. I mean, we're not that genius, really. We're just applying the technologies that are available to us now. And that's a little bit what that book highlights is how converging technologies super, super jumped into the future. And, and at Domino's, we got to be careful of being arrogant that, you know, when McDonald's goes into this delivery business with fresh set of eyes and deep pockets and no baggage, on one hand, they won't have the, the net knowledge we have, but in some, they'll have the latest technology as well and a lot of stores. So they'll be a lot closer to the customer on average than we will. So we got to be very careful that and, and what drives us is every day is to, you know, make sure we're, we're using all of this that's at our disposal to make the system better because somebody else will if we don't. One of my favorite books that I've read in the last couple of years, which I strongly recommend for team members and managers is Atomic Habits. And Atomic Habits is written by James Clear. And Atomic Habits is a better way of answering muscle memory is that muscle memory is basically habits, right? We have all these habits and dominoes that we struggle to break. And Atomic Habits teaches you how to break habits and develop more good habits and reduce the bad habits. And I love it. I mean, it changed my life on things that I wanted to, to fix and in my own habits and makes you immensely more productive knowing because the idea of Atomic Habits is they're called Atomic because there's many, many little habits that you multiply the change by correcting many of them and you get big outcomes. And, and that's how a domino stores works is that it's, it's lots of little things you can change where you, your make line is to, in correlation to your oven, your cut tables correlation to your ovens, your dispatch. You know, in Japan, we have these things called D-pits because what we're trying to do is we're trying to have the e-bike as close to the cut table as we can from a health department point of view. If we cut the pizza and load it into a bike and it drives away, You've got even, you know, you know, 15 second rack time. I mean, you know, and, and that's an atomic habit because how do you break down the barriers to meet health department and Domino's food safety, which obviously we would never do a system that breaks food safety. That's priority number one. But atomic habits helps teach you that. And my gosh, there's so many other books. I love reading Shoe Dog, the Nike story, because it reminds me of the Domino story with Mr. Monaghan. Shoe Dog is Phil Knight, obsession with the shoe and 
selling shoes and the science and the athletes and the whole time I'm reading it, Phil Knight, Tom Monaghan, same people, you know, and it inspires me to think about all the entrepreneurs that have been building dominoes and are building dominoes today, you know, the great the great dominoids of the world all over the world right now that are pushing the envelope. And we fondly remember some of the old original dominoids, but will the ones today will also be remembered by for what they're doing in the next decades to come um, as we reshape this business for the future. So yeah, Shoe Dog's a really, really cool story. Drew, I think we've got our next uh, books to read. Yeah, it just cleared up my Amazon list. So thanks for that. Don, you know, what keeps you up at night? It's always been our, it's always been the, the, the people side of our business in that, you know, uh, when the moments when are they safe, you know, the deep, the beginnings of the pandemic for us, the amount of numbers of deliveries we have on the road, you know, are we keeping, are we doing everything possible to make sure that we're, we're reducing incidents, everything possible we can do to do that. Long term, I can't wait for cash to leave our stores so we don't get robbed. You can't rob a store that, if it doesn't have cash, right? I mean, what are you robbing? Some pizza? So yeah, it's, it's always been about that side, keeping our people safe. But on the other side, it's also about developing people are we doing enough inevitably people fall through the the cracks in our business who miss the dream and nine out of ten times it's it's our responsibility you know we didn't help take them to the next place they didn't develop to the next place and they lost the dream and and that, you know that always breaks my heart when i see a good way to leave the business because they they hit a wall and then they went backwards. They're the sort of things that keep me up more than anything. The competition coming at us, you know, there's a lot of talk about the aggregators being the competition. The aggregators are not the competitor. They're just a, they're just another marketplace. The players in the marketplace are still the competitor. The fact that KFC or Chick-fil-A can now deliver is still the real competitor. That's just an aggregator is like a Google platform. It's just, it's another marketplace. As I said, I live in fear in the next few years that if we're not further down the line when when the McDonald's of the world and Chick-fil-A's of the world and stuff get into building their delivery engines, then we're gonna we're gonna hit a much bigger wall than the aggregator itself. We've got to be fit in our business and doing more deliveries than they can dream of with better systems, with better trained team members, better image, so that they look second rate to dominoes because we 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 founded this industry, the QSR delivery industry. We founded it and still chase us 60 years on, you know. Or we can be part of the history books like a lot of, you know, we can be blockbuster, but it's in our hands. Do, do any of us want to be the custodians at the time that we became blockbuster and we handed over to Netflix? No way. Yeah, that's they're the sort of things that keep me up. Wow. Let's switch gears a little bit, literally and figuratively. It seems from some of your posts, you have an affinity for classic Porsches. Yeah. <laughs> yes. In fact, I saw a beautiful blue 57 356A. How's that one treating you? It is. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. I'm very fortunate. It's an award-winning car and it's my second 356. I've got another one in, in the US. I have a home in the US and I've got a Speedster. So a 1958 Speedster that was fully restored by Ellen DeGeneres believe it or not. So really, yeah, her, her partner's name, her wife's name is, uh, is Porsche Del Rossi, an Australian lady. So I think that's part of why she likes Porsches. I, I've assumed that I don't know that for sure, but yeah, I've, I've, I have a speedster in, in Colorado and I've got the, and now I've got the coupe in, in Brisbane. And the irony of that is I just took delivery of the new Taycan. So, you know, the earliest Porsches that you could buy to now the electric Turbo S Taycan, which is a fully electric Porsche, and it's 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 such a such a journey. But yeah, no, I do love the old Porsches. I'm, I have collected a number over the years. Been fortunate enough because of Domino's, right? Domino's fuels this passion. I'm trying to build a bigger garage right now so I can have more of these toys in the garage. Oh, good for you. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. 
That's amazing. Wow, Sam. Just wow. What an incredible interview. And that's just part one. Yeah, I can't wait for part two where he talks about innovation. And we'll have that for you on episode eight of Drew and Sam Talk Training. Don was just so gracious with his time. It was just amazing to be with somebody for an hour that has been so successful, is is so highly thought of in the Domino's pizza world. And my gosh, Drew, he just couldn't have been more gracious with his time. Now, gracious and humble. It was absolutely awesome. Speaking of being gracious and humble, let's be gracious and let one of our sponsors talk for a minute. Sounds great. You want to take what you have heard on this podcast to the next level? I do. Are you looking to be better than yesterday? I am. So why don't you join us for Drew and Sam Train Leadership, a mini-con event. You'll get to hear from a keynote speaker. You'll choose from two of three available breakouts. Those breakouts, full-fledged expectations, holding them able with accountability, and recognition with impact. You'll have an opportunity to network with other listeners of this podcast. It's only 49 bucks. It gives you access to the two-hour event. To register, go to trainwithbty.com. That's right. To register, go to trainwithbty.com. Do it today. All right, welcome back to episode seven. Take it away, Willie. On the road again. Just can't wait to get on. I love that song. Kind of our theme song, isn't it? It is, because if if we're on the road again, it means we're busy and we're working. So, you know, Sam, I don't know why we call this on the radar, because it's really on the road again. So where are you on the road again to? I am going to be on the road to Centralia, Illinois again, helping my friends down there get that just crazy busy store staffed, get it organized, and just doing pretty much whatever they ask me to do while I'm down there. I really enjoy my time down there. And then also, we've got our Train the Trainer experience coming to Ann Arbor, Michigan in May. Drew and I will be there for three days doing a workshop that's all about stand-up training, making you a better presenter, and just huge transformations when we see that particular workshop. If you need any information at all, check out my website at fouserconsult.com and you can actually register there. You can certainly email me if you'd like at sam at fouserconsulting.net or you can email Drew. At Drew at trainwithbty.com. So again, that's the Train the Trainer workshop coming up in early May. Uh, Three days of stand-up training. You're going to get the opportunity to stand and deliver three separate times. You're going to get that feedback that we talked about. And you're going to be getting all kinds of praise, correct praise. And you will leave with a stronger skill set when it comes to stand-up training. How about you, Drew? Where are you on the road again? Well, Sam, after doing some time here in Ann Arbor area, working under the hood of the Learning Hub for some clients, I finally get to launch that system out in Midland, Texas. So I'll be joining Cassie Garrity and her fabulous team for their first rally and award session. And based on the last podcast, I will not be bringing coffee I will just be having water because Cassie will bring enough energy to light most of West Texas. Yeah, you're not going to need to uh, charge the batteries for that one because she is infectious with the Domino's Pizza energy that she's got. And again, Cassie, if you're listening, thanks again for being with us on episode six. That interview was simply terrific. 
after that, I get to go out to Team Commonwealth and help them with the BTY visit system. Oh, make sure you say hi to Becca and David for me. I've had the opportunity to be with Team Commonwealth a couple of times. And, you know, Ray Sellers, a Chairman's Circle Hall of Fame winner, helped build that company. And then Becca and David took it over. And you're going to love those folks. They are good people. Sam. I think that's the end of episode seven. I think it is. I don't know about you, but I'm really looking forward to part two of that Don May interview for episode eight. We heard him talk about the atomic habits. I'm going to pick that one up and start reading it. You think we should maybe review that one in episode eight? Oh yeah, we need to review it because I'm halfway through and I could build 10 classes off of this book. I look forward to that. Gang, thanks. You've been listening to Drew and Sam Talk Training. I'm Drew Helmholtz with Better Than Yesterday Consulting. And I'm Sam with Fowler Consulting as always, go out there and sell more pizza and have more fun. That's a wrap. 